Well, Happy New Year and welcome to 2021. Uh, we certainly hope and pray that this year is, uh, is a wonderful year uh, as we hopefully gather back together soon and uh, continue the work that God has called us to do here at the Bridge Church. But for now, we greet you online and continue to love you and pray for you and want to uphold you the best that we can. In the new year, it's been our resolve to return to Luke and uh, the study that we had before we left in the middle of Luke 15 and a study that we've entitled Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And when we left off, we saw that Jesus was uh, being pressed about this concept that he cared for those who had fallen away in sin and those who were struggling with sin and those who uh, the Jewish world around him, his community, uh, would have thought were um, beyond help uh, or at least needed to pay some serious penalties for their sins. And yet Jesus is entitled friend of sinners. And in this chapter, Luke 15, with three parables, he describes uh, what the Father's love is for sinners and why he continues to display and how he continues to display love for people that have been determined as sinners and tax collectors and uh, those who are um, given to failure from a human perspective. Uh, so the title of our series is Jesus, Friend of Sinners, and our title today of the sermon is God is a Friend to Sinners. We're in Luke 15, 11 to 32. Uh, Martin Luther was born in 1505 to a, uh, to a miner who is his father, and, and, uh, and his father was an angry man. And they were Catholic. They were, uh, that was the only faith that was there for Christians in Germany at the time uh, to be Catholic. The Reformation was about to begin. But uh, for him, in his understanding of God through his father, was that God was angry, God was uh, unforgiving, God was righteous in a way that he could never be. And at a young age, Martin Luther decided to become a monk. In a moment of fear, he made a vow and he kept his vow. And when he became a monk, he was uh, particularly tough on himself. He would, uh, he would fast for days. He would, stay, he would sleep without a blanket on cold nights. Um, he was filled with terror and dread in his religious duties. Uh, the monks and priests around him were concerned for him because he was so fearful of God that, God's, that his sin would cause God to, uh, to punish him in a way that he wanted to get ahead of, so he was punishing himself. And uh, one counselor said to him, and a fellow monk said to him, why don't you love God? Uh, and he said, I do not love God. I hate him. That was Luther's response. And it was a revelation to even him that what he understood of God was something hateful to him. That God was, uh, was out for his undoing because of his sin and there was never appeased. God could never be appeased and his righteousness was so far beyond Luther's that Luther could never account for it. And just as his earthly father was, uh, was abusive and angry, so was his heavenly father. That was Luther's perspective. Well, maybe that was the perspective of some who 
looked at Jesus and how he treated sinners and said, you certainly do not understand the righteousness of God. How can you be friends to sinners? And how can you love them? In fact, the term friend of sinners was a term that was used derisively. If you were to look at chapter 15 and beginning in verse 1, the context of this beloved parable that we're going to be looking at today is verses 1 and 2. 15, 1 and 2 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This man is acting as if sin doesn't matter from a Pharisee perspective and from the scribes perspective. They were grumbling, saying, Jesus does not understand the righteousness of God. And yet we see in the parable, the third parable, we've already looked at it back in the early fall of 2020, uh, the first two parables, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And in both of those, Jesus puts on display the Father's heart of rejoicing when one sinner is found and how far God would go to find one sinner. And then in his most descriptive parable, chapter 15, verse 11, what we know often as the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son, we see that God is a friend to sinners. In 15, beginning in verse 11, this is how it reads. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began in, to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have, been more, have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. In this first section of this parable that is called the prodigal son, we see that God lets sinners go. God lets sinners go. Uh, the, the parable begins with, there was a man who had two sons. The first thing that I want you to see in this parable is not the sons that have the primary position in this parable. The one that Jesus wants you to see most is the father, the heart of the father. And that's what was wrong with the Pharisees' perspective and oftentimes the tax collectors and sinners' perspective. Do you understand the heart of the Father? That was Luther's problem. He didn't understand the heart of his heavenly Father. I think he understood the heart of his earthly Father. But did he understand the heart of his heavenly Father? And in this parable and the two preceding it, Jesus' main job, his main responsibility, his main hope is to put on display the heart of his Father. 
as he describes why he does what he does, he wants you to know that this is exactly what God wants. If you only understood the heart of God, the Father. There was a man who had two sons. This is a story about the man. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. The father receives the younger son and the son basically says to him, what is very offensive in our generation and extremely offensive in the first generation. In the first generation, this is almost an unheard of practice where a son would come to a father and say, it's taken you too long to die. I want my share of the inheritance. I don't uh, want you to be the one who represents this share. I want to be the one who represents this share and I don't want to wait for it. By dividing it, the younger son is saying that I don't care about our family name. I don't care about our family property. I'm willing to sell our property, the inheritance that God's given us in this land, and I am willing to take our inheritance and spend it in a foreign land, away from the people of God and away from the provision of God and away from the protection of God. This is an awful story from a Jewish perspective. This is an awful story. This is a son who does not deserve the inheritance. An appropriate response might have been, you're not getting any inheritance. In fact, your lack of respect is a sin. And I will not allow it. And yet the father allows him to falter. The father, he says, he divided the property between them. The father gave him what he was asking for. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. He gathered together his property. He took what was his. He took what was part of the family name. He took the inheritance, and he took it from the home. He took it away from the father. He did not leave it there as provision. In all of the parables, you can't take this too far. This is not simply describing completely our relationship with God. Jesus is trying to show the offensiveness of sin. Jesus is trying to say, I understand what sin does. I understand how offensive sin is to the Father because it is equally offensive to me. And he describes an incredibly offensive moment where a son takes his inheritance and squanders it through reckless living in a foreign country. He leaves the protection of God. He leaves the people of God. He leaves his family. He leaves his tribe. He leaves his town. And he takes what is provided by God through his father and he takes it into a foreign land from a human perspective. And he squanders it his property in reckless living. And that term, reckless living, is where we get the term prodigal from. He squandered it in reckless living. Uh, That picture is uh, described as one who is hell-bent on self-destruction and relationship destruction with thoughtless living. 
In three other places, this term is used, this Greek term is used, that is described as reckless living. In Ephesians 5.18, in Titus 1.6, and in 1 Peter 4.4, and each time it is uh, described in the ESV as debauchery, the excessive indulgence that gives its way to sensual pleasure. The prodigal son, the one who is living his life loose, is spending all that was given to him by his father. And he's giving it away. It's, it's, it's pursuing reckless living and leaving him without hope. In Proverbs 5, 21 to 23, we see what God's heart is for sin. In Proverbs 21, 23, it says, For a man's way are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. And he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. The scriptures make clear that sin itself is leaving God's protection and provision. Sin is saying to God, I have a better way. I have a better path. I am going to leave all that you have for me and live recklessly outside of your provision. In verse 30, we see how the older brother describes what the younger brother is doing in this reckless living. In verse 30, it says, But when this son of yours came, who has devoured, devoured your property with prostitutes, he still see, understands, the older son understands that this is the father's property that the son is using to sin, using to promote evil and to uh, provide for other people's evil. What was good is now being used to bring death and evil and, and destruction not only of this young man's life, but of other people's lives. He is squandering and reckless living all that God has given him. Well, now a severe famine arose and God letting go is pursuing him through the famine. I want you to understand that when God lets go, there are times when that is pursuit of the person. If you choose a life of sin, if you choose to leave God, if you choose to squander your life, if you choose to die while you're living and to live your life and, and forfeit it in sinfulness, God may pursue you by giving you what you ask for. He may give you the property and he may let you go into that sin. Now, God's protection uh, he always provides for us. He always gives rain. He always gives breath. And when he's giving that breath and giving us life, as long as we're alive, he is the one holding it together. And his mercies are new every morning for sinners and, and, and those who have been saved alike. But there are times when he lets us go into the life we've chosen, into the sin that we've chosen, and in so doing, at times, he is calling us home. Is this the life you really want? Well, this man, this son of his, now experiences a famine. 
And when he had spent everything, in verse 14, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. He was already in need spiritually, but now he's understanding the need financially. And he's understanding the need relationally. He is without family in a foreign land. He is without money in a place of famine. He is without hope and without help and his life is becoming forfeit. The one who was once a son who had an inheritance now has squandered his inheritance and has no hope. In verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into these fields to feed pigs. This type of hired help is, is like daily being hired. The ones who wait in a Home Depot parking lot, they don't really have a job that lasts that they can count on day to day. These are those who just hire themselves out for as long as they're worth something and then they're let go. They are the lowest of slaves. They aren't household slaves. These are ones that work in the fields and have, you know, what's the least we can pay them. So in this famine, he has the lowest position in a foreign land. He is hiring himself out to the citizens of that country. And he was sent into the fields to feed pigs. Well, what does it mean that he was sent to feed pigs? Well, pigs were thought of as the lowest of animals, the ones that would make you unclean. In Leviticus 11.7 and Deuteronomy 14.8, we see that being with pigs and eating pigs causes you to be unclean. And here he was sent into the fields to feed the pigs. For an Israelite who is hearing this story that Jesus is telling, this person has fallen to the lowest position. This is below tax collectors and sinners in, the, in Judea, in Galilee. This is, this is a person that is unclean, untouchable, to be ignored, not welcomed home. This person is a mess. And in verse 16, we see that this isn't momentary. This is ongoing. In verse 16, it says, And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. With three verbs, was longing, ate, and gave, we see that uh, God is putting on display through imperfect verbs that this was an ongoing situation, and a situation that... that could not be solved. Again and again and again, God showed these through these imperfect verbs. Jesus is saying that this young man was a continual state of brokenness, a continual state of uncleanness, a continual state of sin, and a continual state of want and neediness. This one is continually sinful, continually unclean, unacceptable unreceivable. You want to talk about one who Jesus shouldn't welcome. Here's the one that Jesus shouldn't welcome. Because surely the law wouldn't welcome him. Leviticus 11, 7 and Deuteronomy 14, 8. Some may think that friend of sinners means that Jesus didn't think much of sin. As Jesus describes the first part of this story, he wants his hearers to know both the sinners and the tax collectors who are listening to him. Both you and me, those who struggle with maybe legalism or license. He wants us to know that God takes sin very seriously. The gospel begins with 
God taking sin very seriously and calling out sin. When Jesus is described as a friend of sinners, he may accept the title, but it doesn't mean that he takes sin lightly. He describes what sin means to the Father. For Martin Luther, who thought, I am a man who is woefully in need as a sinner before God, and I can never pay this debt on my own. He was right. That's true. He could never account for his sin alone. But in verse 17, Jesus describes this younger son coming to his senses. But when he came to himself, he said, How many in my father's hire, of my, fire that, my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? As he thinks back to his father, he remembers that his father is merciful. His father is love. His father is kind. His father is gracious. He doesn't expect that his father will restore him. He doesn't expect that his father will receive him. He talks in terms of the least in the father's household. And it just as the least in the father's household, I would be better than anywhere else. So as he considers the father's heart, he begins to believe that the father would act maybe mercifully towards him if he repented, truly. If he truly owned that he had been the one who failed miserably. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer be worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. <coughs> I am not worthy to be called your son. He understands the truth of the matter. That Jesus shouldn't receive the tax collectors and sinners. That's true. The Father shouldn't accept back the tax collectors and sinners. The Father shouldn't accept back the Pharisees and the tax the Pharisees and the scribes. The Father shouldn't accept back Martin Luther. You see, God lets sinners go so they can understand, so that some of them will understand that they have a great need. And we are left with the consequences of our sin and the heartache of our sin as we are responsible for broken relationships with God and broken relationships with each other. We hurt the people that we love. We push away the people that we love. Every one of us are responsible for the sinfulness of this world and our own personal sinful choices. And a holy God should not receive us back. And at this point is where the gospel steps in. This is the moment that Jesus came for. Don't you know that this younger son has truly come to his senses? And I wonder, have you, as Martin Luther? Well, in verse 20, we see the movement from God letting sinners go to God taking sinners in. God takes sinners in. In verse 20, he describes that in this story. He helps us understand the father's heart. And he arose, this younger son arose and came to his father. So he is walking from home. And you can imagine how he's feeling and how he's running through his head, what he's going to say. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
The father's response is not what anyone would expect. The father's response is filled with love and grace. It's not what anyone expected coming out of the Old Testament and the law. It's not any, what anybody anticipated when you considered how they know, if you know God, you know that sin leave, leads to wrath. He can't abide sin. And yet here he is seeing this boy walk back towards him and God the Father runs to him, which is unkingly, pulling up his robes and running to the son and he falls to his knees and he embraces him and he kisses him. This is an unbelievable moment where the father acts on compassion. What do you know of how God reacts to people? It's with compassion. Yes, he sees our sin. Yes, he's offended by our sin. But he has compassion for us. He has not left us in our sin. God takes sinners in. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is a significant moment as the son takes ownership of who he is. He blames himself. He doesn't say, my father made me do this. He doesn't say that it, I didn't really have a great relationship with my brother. That's why I left. Uh, there were people that took advantage of me. This other person taught me how to sin. No, he takes complete blame for it. And that's repentance. That's what coming to the end of ourselves means in light of the gospel. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What he speaks is the truth. Well, he's come to understand that he has broken his relationship with his father. He has broken his relationship with his brother. He has brought dishonor to the name of his father. And he doesn't deserve to be a son anymore. Verse 22, it says, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hands and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. That's how God the Father responds when any of us turn to him in truth. When we admit that we're sinful, when we express our sin to him and our understanding of that we are the ones that broke relationship with him, he, has, he, he receives us back with compassion and restores us completely. Can you see how the Father is responding? Jesus is saying, you call me friend of sinners. Do you have any idea what God the Father's heart is for sinful people? God's heart is filled with compassion and love for those of us who are lost in sin, who would turn to him by faith, who would repent of our sins and trust Jesus. He restores this son completely. 
He says, bring the best robe. He is put back in a position of son. Put it on and put a ring on his hand. He is restored to a position of authority as a child of God. Shoes on his feet. He is told not to walk around in poverty anymore. He is restored to his inheritance. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. There's a celebration going on. God is celeb. God the Father is celebrating over a lost sinner. That's the story that has been told with three parables again and again. If you want to know what God thinks of sinners, he celebrates when one of us turns to him. Oh, if we knew how the Father feels about us in our sin, how much we hurt him, and in salvation, how much he rejoices that his compassion and his love are poured out on those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus Christ, those who have been called. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. The whole household celebrates. How can we as a church not celebrate when one person turns from their sin and comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? That's what God does. He takes sinners in. It's an amazing moment. But in verse 25, we see how the older son responds. And Jesus wants to put both sons' response to the father and the father's response to both sons on display. Verse 25, it says, Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he was, has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead as alive. He was lost and is found. What's going on with this older son? And why is Jesus putting him on display while he's showing how, he how God the Father rejoices when one son returns? What's going on with the older brother? The Pharisees and the scribes were in danger of missing the kingdom of God. They were in danger of missing the gospel. They were there wanting to serve Yahweh, memorizing scripture, pouring themselves in to try to be good enough. And in trying to be good enough, they were so close to the answer, they had the scriptures right there in front of them. They were the ones that could have easily turned to Jesus and said, you were the Messiah that we were waiting for, but they were offended. They wouldn't enter into the party because they were offended that Jesus was welcoming in sinners. And they didn't recognize that they were as in need of a Savior as any. 
that they were as in need of, of the Messiah as any, and they were going to miss the party simply because they were offended that God was merciful, that God was gracious. It reminds of the story of Jonah when Jonah was ticked off because the Ninevites turned to God and God was merciful. And he was angry with God for being merciful. And I wonder, how is it that we can be angry with God and be so reluctant to welcome people in? How is it that Christians become angry like this older brother and can look at, at people that have sinned against them or against us and, and against the church and we feel like they need to pay something before we can welcome them back? They need to pay their debt. And yet the heart of the story is that Jesus has come to forgive sins. You see, Luther changed while he was wrestling with his sin, while he was wrestling with what God would do with, an anger, with this anger and wrath he had towards the sin that he had in him and how he could never be good enough, he began to study the word of God. He began to read it. And, and in Romans specifically, he read that the righteous shall live by faith. And when he read that the righteous shall live by faith, and as it stood in opposition to the wrath of God was revealed against in heaven against all unrighteousness of men in Romans 1.18, and in Romans 4, the righteous shall live by faith, he saw that there was a great gift that was given in Jesus Christ that is grace unimaginable, that his sin debt was completely paid, and that he could rejoice in the love of God, that there was grace, righteousness was given by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And as he put his faith in Jesus Christ, he understood that he was completely forgiven. And he was completely restored and that everyone else could be completely forgiven and completely restored if they only put their trust in Jesus Christ and the righteousness that he afforded did, would Luther say that God didn't care about sin? No. Would Jesus say that God didn't care about sin? Absolutely not. Did Jesus say that he loved people who were sinning and, and wanted them to continue sinning and didn't care if they continued to sin? That's how many people see Jesus. They think that Jesus is there to affirm what they're doing. That's not the gospel. If you want to know what the cost of sin is, you have to understand that this story does not end in Luke 15. It ends when Jesus goes to the cross. That's where the gospel is, and that's where the righteousness of God meets the compassion and love of God, and we find our freedom from sin. There are so many that are hindered from coming to a right relationship with God because they do not understand that sin is real, and sin is unbelievably offensive to God. And there are so many that, come to, that cannot come to a right relationship with God because they still believe that they need to pay for their sin, that somehow grace is given as they earn it, which makes it not grace at all. And this isn't a love relationship, but ultimately is a relationship of guilt and payment, ultimately hatred. 
appeasing and angry, hateful God. And so many, even in the Christian faith, even in churches, are kept from a relationship with God that is unhindered because they don't understand grace. They don't understand that, yes, it is offensive, but that offense was poured out on the cross. At the same time, there are so many that are hindered from coming to faith, especially now because they believe that sin isn't real. They believe that their sin is not that bad. Somehow it's not that offensive. It's somehow their good works are going to be good enough. And the concept of an angry God is, is wrong. The people who see God as angry just don't understand that God is love. Well, yes, God is love. But God's love was put on display through his wrath being poured out on his son. Yes, he loves us. Yes, he came to love sinners and reach sinners. But the cost is beyond what we could imagine as the son of God went to the cross and became for us a friend a brother, the one who restores us completely and causes the Father to rejoice over us and celebrate and fill the fat, kill the fattened calf. Dear friends, these two great misunderstandings have kept so many people from a right understanding of God, being able to come to him and to receive the grace that is offered freely to come and to repent that is not just remorse, but it's remorse with the action of coming to God the Father and asking forgiveness. The younger brother got it. That prodigal son came home and was part of the party. The older brother, at this point in the story, he hasn't come yet. He's not part of the party. He's not part of the celebration of receiving grace from God. Are you? Have you? Are you part of the celebration? Have you received the grace that only God can give through the cross? I'm here to tell you that God is a friend to sinners who put their trust in Jesus Christ and receive his righteousness offered by faith alone. Oh, the freedom and the love that we enjoy. I hope and pray that you place your trust in Jesus Christ alone. As we begin this new year, may 2021 be a year that we come and receive all that God has afforded us in the gospel, in Jesus Christ. Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you are a friend of sinners. I'm so thankful that you have given us grace and mercy and hope. I know at great cost as you went to the cross and God the Father's wrath was poured out on you. Thank you for that. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for compassion. Thank you for grace. Thank you for being restored to a right relationship with God. Thank you for being called children of God, sons and daughters. Thank you for having an inheritance that's not only restored, but beyond what we could imagine as we are joint heirs with Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, may many place their trust in you through Jesus Christ. 
It's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.